Hello and welcome to the Automators Podcast. I am David Sparks and joined by my fellow co-host. Hello, Rosemary. How are you today? I am great, David. Uh, how are you doing? I am uh, I'm having a great time. We've got a good guest today. We're going to be talking some automation. But before we do so, I just wanted to take a minute to acknowledge your new show. Uh, you have something uh, exciting to share with the audience. Yes, yes, I do. Uh, I am officially uh, joining Twit, not involving moving to California, joining Twit, but I am uh, helping Micah Sargent host iOS Today as of January. So uh, that's a weekly show available over at twit.tv. And uh, we get to talk about all things iOS, including sometimes automation, but mostly just iOS and our workflows. I mean, Micah is one of my favorite people in technology, and um, honestly, he's better than me. So you've you've upgraded co-hosts in my. I, I wouldn't say it's an upgrade. I'd say I'd say it's a lateral. You're both amazing people, and you both have different takes on things, which is always the the interesting thing to look at. And uh, I'm pleased I get to work with everybody I love. I think that uh, nobody. I can't think of anybody better than you to be hosting a show called iOS Today, and. I've been watching it. I love what you're doing. And all the automators, you need to go out there and support Rose with this big move that she's made. Watch the show. Give them some feedback. And uh, I couldn't be happier for you, Rose. I'm so excited that you, uh, you're you on that show now. Well, thank you very much. I'm really looking forward to uh, to producing that weekly. And of course, I'm still going to be here on automators and nested folders. None of that's changing. I'm just doing more podcasting because I love it so much. Yeah, I'm not letting you go. So no, Rose no. is stuck with us. Um, <laughs> we have a guest today. Um, Adam Toe, welcome back to The Automators. Thanks for having me. Adam is, and I, I think I told this story. You were on, I think, episode 29. I told this story about how the first time I met you was at Sal Segoyan's Automation Summit. And you had this amazing photography automation. And, and you have really kind of come into your own the last few years, Adam, with the various applications you've released. Adam Gang is the guy who makes shortcuts easier for you. And Adam makes applications that you can buy in the App Store that add features and simplicity to automating shortcuts. And the most recent one you have made is MFC Deck, which is kind of amazing. Thanks. Yeah, the first, I think the second time we met was at WWDC right after they introduced iOS 13. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't yeah. written any apps. I hadn't written any apps then. I had some kind of like very complicated shortcuts. But then shortly after that, I started writing apps. Yeah, I remember because you were showing me uh, this uh, build your own adventure story that you'd, you'd written, which even used the translation feature. So I was actually playing with it in French. That was just amazing. Um, and it's amazing what you're able to do with shortcuts, because, of course, shortcuts... If, if you've got the right brain, you can turn it to all sorts of complicated things. But I'm really glad that you're using that brain to create apps so that other people can do this kind of thing as well. Definitely. Like I, I, I kind of look at kind of the features that shortcuts lacks and I try to implement them um, in an app. And then, you know, a year later, Apple goes in and implements those features themselves <laughs> into yeah. the main app. Yeah. I mean, they implemented some of the features of launch cuts, but they certainly didn't implement smart folders, which is the feature I'm still using launch cuts for. That's pretty much what I live for. Just use it for smart folders. And I don't really use folders and shortcuts a huge amount because of that. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, they also didn't give nested folders, which is another thing that you've done. And I feel like you are in safe space there. You make apps that kind of go beyond the most basic features because Apple can't do real complicated things along the, you know, these features because they want their users not to get confused and they want to make it easy for everyone. But you're there for the power users with the stuff you make. And 
And honestly, I, I really have to give a shout out to Apple. When you first started building these apps, I was a little worried that it wasn't going to get through the app store, that they would say, you know, because th- there are apps out there that add actions to shortcuts, but your app really adds features to shortcuts. And I didn't know how that was going to go down, but they they approved it and you've got a successful business out of it. Yeah, there was some a little precedent in that there were some apps like uh, Launch Center Pro and Pushcut, which did the sync of shortcuts. So you could select a shortcut within those apps, but they didn't, they just got like a list of names of the shortcuts and then they would just call the shortcuts app to run them. But what I was doing was I was actually like sucking down kind of information about the shortcut from like the icons to action lists and things like that. And I was able to create, you know, launch cuts out of that. And then eventually MFC deck. All right. So let's, uh, we didn't really talk about launch cuts because you came here before that came out. So, but Rose and I have mentioned it on the show in the interim, but just take a minute to explain the launch cuts, but I want to, I want to focus on MFC deck. So explain what launch cuts does. Sure. So launch cuts came out during the iOS 13 um, operating system, and it basically brought folders to shortcuts. Now with iOS 14, we all have folders on our shortcuts. And I know a lot of people have been using them uh, to organize their galleries. Um, But there's still a few features in launch cuts that doesn't exist in the shortcuts app on iOS 14, such as, as you mentioned before, nested folders and tags. Yeah, those are the two features that I have been primarily using because, of course, you know, for for most people, folders themselves are are great and that's what they need. But for the the shortcuts pro people, uh, having the ability to nest all this and really go in deep is just wonderful. I think it really comes down to how many shortcuts you have. I mean, if you've got 30 shortcuts, Apple's folder system is fine. If you have 400 it probably isn't so that, you know, and that's, that's where, you know, you want to upgrade to something like launch cuts and it's a great app. And it, it, I would argue it has not been Sherlocked, although some of its features have been incorporated into shortcuts. And I think that's almost the best of both worlds. I mean, if you're using the built-in folders with shortcuts and that's good enough for you, then don't worry about it. You're good. But if you're using the built-in folders and you're like, man, I really wish I could nest these or just have more control over them. Uh, then there is an upgrade for you that Adam has created, you know, with with launch cuts. But the 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 new app you came out with following iOS fourteen is the one that I am fascinated by, and and we're going to talk about that today. So tell us a little bit about this new app, MFC, um, MFC Deck. I'm sorry, I was going to say MFC Cuts. I don't know what's wrong with my brain. Yeah, so MFC Deck is an application that I would say it takes shortcuts to the next level. So it allows you to run shortcuts like launch cuts, but you can actually send parameters to the shortcuts and receive information back from the shortcut after it runs. And with that, you can kind of create a visual representation of, of, of your shortcut after it's run. Uh, so I developed this before iOS 14 home screen widgets were announced by Apple. And so the original kind of tagline was widgetize your shortcuts. Um, and then iOS 14 came out and everyone's been, you know, going uh, hog wild with uh, widgets on their home screen. Uh, but what this app does is it allows you to turn your shortcuts into widgets and put them into a control panel or what I'm calling a deck uh, within the MFC deck app. So you can kind of visually see um, your shortcuts as widgets. Yeah. And, you know, Apple does give widget support for shortcuts once again, but it's under their terms and under very kind of restrictive terms about the way it works, where MFC Deck 
kind of gives the user more power. Can you can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So right now with widgets and shortcuts, you on the home screen, you just basically tap it and it'll run the shortcut. Uh, and and that's it. You know, if the shortcut happens to display a menu, it'll display a menu, it'll maybe maybe speak some text out to you, but that's it. Um, what MFC deck allows you to do is you can run the shortcut and then the shortcut can return back uh, a visual representation of its result. So for instance, you have a weather shortcut, uh, you can tap on it and then the widget will transform to say, show the, uh, weather information to you in a visual, uh, manner. Uh, and some, some other apps do this also today. So there's like widget pack, which lets you create widgets out of your shortcuts and scriptable from Simon Storving lets you do that using JavaScript. Um, and so MFC Deck is another way that you can use to do that. Now, there's other features about MFC Deck that, um, that I'd like to talk about. So for instance, you can create a control deck. So for instance, let's say you have a bunch of widgets or, or sorry, a bunch of shortcuts that control uh, a macOS application. You could have a deck that's like, say, Mail or Zoom or Xcode. And you can have all these buttons that when you tap on them, they'll like, control your Mac app, or maybe you have a deck that's controlling your clipboard contents. So you can have something that says, you know, make a piece of text that's in the clipboard into a slug or uppercase all the text or title case all the text. So you can have uh, basically a control deck. Think of it like a, uh, a virtual stream deck, if you're familiar with those devices, on your iOS device. Uh, and that really is where MFC Deck, uh, MFC Deck clicked for me because I have a Stream Deck on my desk. I have the 15-button Stream Deck, and it's great. And with the folders and the profiles and everything, I can do a bunch of things I want um, with that. Um, but what I really wanted was, you know, the interactive, much more interactive uh, deck where I can have it display information and pull things out of stuff without having to, you know, figure out a bunch of different APIs and things like that. And how do I connect to them with Keyboard Maestro? And is Keyboard Maestro the best tool for this? Maybe I should do it in Apple Script and all this stuff. When I've already programmed pretty much everything I need in shortcuts, or there's apps out there to help me with that. Um, and that's where, you know, I've, I've got MSC deck. So I have a couple of different decks and I've got one on my desk. It's uh, displaying right now on my, um, sadly, otherwise barely used iPad mini right now. Um, and, uh, it's for podcasting and it allows, it shows me, you know, how long have I been podcasting and what podcast am I currently doing and what's my upcoming podcast schedule and things like that. Um, and I'm really loving that because as well as showing me this information, which I'm pulling out various sources, it also allows me to control things on my, on my screen. So, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, allowing me to push over information that I need as I need it. And that's, that's where it really clicked for me. Yeah, like I use these uh, app palettes with Keyboard Maestro on the Mac where I can pull up a list of commands related to a specific app. This is what it felt like to me as I was starting to play with these decks. The difference is the decks can actually feed you back information um, as well, which is kind of exciting. But it, it is really a different way to to automate on iOS that goes a little bit beyond what you can do with shortcuts and uh you know, congratulations on figuring this out. Yeah, another feature of MSC Deck is its powerful automation features. So I have a, a series of decks that kind of I run automatically. So basically, there's MSC Deck is comprised of decks and cards. So think of decks like folders, and cards are actions that could do things like run a shortcut, display information, or get the contents of a URL. And I've set up these automations that run at basically every 15 minutes during the 
during the day from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. And anytime I open up a deck, I can see all that information's automatically been updated, you know, after every 15 minutes. Um, and you can configure the actions so that they run on a schedule or they have a rate limit. So for instance, just say you have a, a, an action that runs a shortcut and you only want it to run once an hour. You can configure that card so that it only runs once an hour or only run on the weekdays or on the weekends. So it's a powerful way to kind of craft your shortcuts around kind of the automated tasks that you want to run throughout the day. Yeah, I'd never really thought of rate limiting automation tasks, but like one of the examples you gave me was that you rate limit your automation that backs up your shortcut files and you do it once a day. I think you said it was like on a 14 hour timer, but uh, so once a day it'll hit that. And once it runs the action that backs up your shortcuts, it, it's done because it's rate limited. But if, if you bump into that card 15 minutes later, it's going to say, well, I can't do that because I just did it 15 minutes ago. We haven't hit the 14 hour deadline yet. That's right. Yeah. And it also, because the shortcut can return a response back to MFC deck. It can show you the last time it actually backed up your shortcut. Very clever. And, and it's like, those are features that just don't exist in shortcuts. I don't know that they ever will. I don't know. I'm I'm sure the shortcuts team is playing with this app and thinking about it, but I have to feel like this is the kind of stuff that like power users are going to want, but standard users, I mean, you you use the word rate limit to normal users. They're just going to get cross-eyed and shut the app, you know? Um, but I think this is something can be really useful for people who are serious about automating. Yeah. So there's, there's an, there's another feature, I think, um, I mean, if we look at iOS 14, they released in, you know, 14.3, that ability to have a shortcut that's on the home screen. It just runs automatically. It doesn't pop up the shortcuts app and then do its thing and then, and then stop. Right. Um, yeah. I could easily see the shortcuts team adding something like in the add to home screen section when you're creating that shortcut, it says like input, right? And then you could pass like a certain input to that shortcut that then is saved to the home screen. So like one of the features that MSC Deck has, and you can see this in like kind of the clipboard text editing examples that I have on my website, is I have one shortcut that is duplicated like six or seven times in this clipboard deck. And I just pass a different command to that shortcut to say, you know, uppercase the text, lowercase the text, um, slug the text. If you had to create those shortcuts in the shortcuts app today, you'd have to have six or seven basically duplicate shortcuts, right? Mm-hmm. But um, I can easily see the iOS uh, team at Apple just adding just that little text input field so that you can have one shortcut, but then you can duplicate it um, on the home screen to kind of create this kind of control deck. And and I want to talk about how we're using this, but I want to get through some of the main features first. And another one that stands out to me is just kind of the power use of NFC tags. And we use those a lot. Rose and I just talked about it in the last episode of Automators. Um, but you have kind of come up with a solution to multi-purpose NFC tags with this app. Could you explain that? Right. So NFC Deck actually used to be called NFC Deck because the original focus of the app was to supercharge your use of NFC tags and shortcuts. So what I'm able to do is you can create decks that basically talk to the same NFC tag. So depending on what deck is the current deck or the default deck, a single NFC tag can have multiple actions associated with it. So to give an example, I have um, a physical kind of booklet that I've 
placed a five by four grid of NFC tags. So there's 20 NFC tags on it. And I've decreated multiple decks that look identical to this physical deck, except it's in virtual form. So um, the grid is like A1 to A5, all the way to D1, D5. So the D5 tag, which is in the bottom right corner of this physical deck, I could tap it in the morning and it will turn on my lights in the office. And if I tap it in the evening, it will turn off my lights. So the same tag can be can be used to call different shortcuts depending on which deck is currently active. And I have automations that run throughout the day which change which deck is the current deck. Right. And you're using the set default deck action for that in MFC uh in shortcuts, right? That's how that changes. That's correct. And time-based automation. So you'll say after you know three o'clock, switch to the night deck, something like that. Right. So it's similar to like setting your Apple watch face, right? I have yeah. a morning action that changes my watch face to this and in the evening it switches to that. So it's the same thing, same concept. Right. And that, that makes a lot of sense because I know that I need different things throughout the day um, and even different things on different devices throughout the day, which is something I'm experimenting with because one of the things I have is I have a, a, a series of morning shortcuts run through a per- personal automation when my uh, I'm using the, the sleep tracking built into iOS as a trigger. Uh, and so it's, you know, once I've woken up and that alarm is turned off, then I run an automation. And one of the things it does is it then at the end, it's popping open my my daily overview deck. I've not got a better name for it yet. Uh, I'll work on that at some point. But the the important thing is, is inside of that, it's showing me a bunch of content. Now, previously, I was experimenting with show result um, or having Siri speak to me. But I have to say, I'm not the most talkative of pre- people in the morning. And I don't necessarily like having my device going, and the weather today is blah, 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 blah. Um, And so it's quite nice to just have, you know, a nice overview of all of this information displayed, which I can then pop back to regularly in, during the day. So I've been experimenting with some of these other things, you know, like Widget Pack and all of these other ones to get data onto my home screen so that when I, you know, unlock my phone, I see it. But what I like is having my own custom landing page. And these were a big thing, you know, 10, 15 years ago, everybody was creating their own custom, you know, dashboard or landing page in their browser. Well, I love having this in MFC deck because I'm having it update with the information that I want based on, you know, different things that I'm pulling at different times of day. So when I'm not at home, uh, I'm just having it not show me home related information, uh, which is perfect for me. Yeah. What's your take on doing it within a home screen widget. So if you have like um, a page, which is like your overview page versus have it doing it within MFC deck. Well, that is something that I am still very much experimenting with because I have to say I have been super focused on just playing with MFC deck itself rather than actually putting things in the view. Now, I like having, um, you know, different specific cards because that is great. I, I've stolen. I have to say, I love the way that you're, you've got the sample weather deck um, and I love the way that that card uh, specifically looks. And so that's one of the ones I've got on my home screen. And I do like that, but I also like just having the ability to pop into an entire deck and just see all of my stuff there because I don't I'm I'm not looking for one specific card. I don't necessarily care about the weather information, uh, but I like just you know absorbing the information that oh yeah, and it's raining outside. Um, you know, as I go about my day, when I'm looking to see, okay, well, my calendar says this, and my task management system says this, um, and also you know, in my shopping list, I have all these things that I need to buy. Oh, and it is this date today, which means that you know this is coming up and stuff like that. So uh, you know, I I am enjoying 
the the widgets, but uh, that's not necessarily my primary use case. But I can see for a lot of people it would be. For example, um, your your office shortcut, where you display the different lights in your office and what's on and what's off. That is something I desperately need to steal and figure out how that works. Um, and so that I can set it up because I also have a lot of lights here in my office. Um, and I would love to know what's on and off, you know, when I'm in here. Um, and that would be great on my home screen. Okay. So let's, let's talk about that for a minute. You've got this cool widget you made that spatially displays the light bulbs for the lights in your office and you can turn them off, um, individually, as I understand it, it within the widget. How'd you do that? So this is based on MFC Dex kind of hard result JSON object. So it's a way for uh, shortcut developers to s- specify how the widget looks. So uh, in the case of the office status widget, I'm getting the home kit status of six of the lights uh, in my office. Actually, let me see. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, six lights. And I give it a, an FS symbol, which is like either the light on or the light, a light bulb with a slash through it. And sure. then I can define uh, a link to each of those little graphics. And then when I tap on the link, I can send a command to another shortcut, which would do something like turn on the light or toggle the light. Yeah, so the widget's really about status more than it's actually controlling the light. Then you're using a a link to a a traditional shortcut to toggle the light. That's right. But I think that's where the brilliance of all of this is because you don't need to learn how to program in in a different way, do you? You're using the programming that we're all already familiar with, which is shortcuts, um, and just you know giving us a, a couple of different ways to display that. And I have to say, uh, it, it took me a little while to wrap my head around uh, displaying some of the information through the JSON format um, because uh, I, I, I needed examples. And the one that I... Uh, uh, stole as my base for a lot of shortcuts is the weather one because I really like how you've got the the gradient background there you've got uh, the name of the place at the top and then you've got the temperature in large letters you've got an SF symbol in there and then some more information and that to me I looked at that and went okay I, I can see from this widget what I could do to create a whole bunch of others in MFC deck uh, and I've been playing from there. And uh, some of my results have been less successful than others. It turns out that I'm not great at remembering different colors for hex codes off the top of my head. So at one point, I had a very unreadable bright green on bright yellow widget. That was not at all what I was intending <laughs> um, because I was playing with uh, that. But um, now I am getting somewhere and I, I managed to go back to uh, black on yellow, which was what I was originally intending to do. Don't ask me how I ended up with green because black is easiest color to remember. But there we go. It's okay, Rose. It happens. <laughs> no. Well, I'm a web developer. I'm supposed to remember some of these things, but apparently I was having a very off day because I don't know what... Maybe I was just thinking that I would change the background color to green and I just put it in the wrong thing. I don't know what happened there. It looked terrible. It was not readable. Uh, and I've got great eyesight when I'm wearing my glasses or contact lenses, but <laughs> at least it was me that screwed that up. <laughs> Adam, so now that this is in the wild, you can download and install MFC Deck right now as you're listening to the show. Um, what are some of the interesting uses you've seen some of your users doing with MFC deck? Uh, that's a good question. So honestly, uh, I haven't heard too much from the outside people, how they're using it. So I've been trying to, uh, get more people to talk about it. So I know, uh, Rosemary, you mentioned it with Matthew Casanelli the other day. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, thank you for doing that. I'd actually like to see people kind of posting screenshots of their of their decks and their cards and the types of things that they're doing. Um, honestly, there's like a lot of 
talk right now with widget pack and scriptable widgets yeah uh, and they those are fantastic products too um and i think the problem with msd deck is that it does so many different things that it's hard for people to kind of wrap their heads around what can it do for me mm-hmm. and so i think part of what i've done with the msd deck shortcut gallery is kind of show uh all the different ways you can use it and i've started also posting to my youtube channel uh tutorial videos on how you can use the app uh, and show you step by step how I'm doing certain things within MSC Deck. Yeah, I, I do think that like there's this little nugget of gold here for automators that has not been. It's just a lot of people haven't got it. And uh, honestly, the, one of the reasons I wanted to book you on the show is because I wanted to force myself to dig in with the app because I didn't really understand it either until we started really kind of prepping for the show. And there's just a lot here for people and. You know, it's very reasonably priced and it adds a bunch of power features to shortcuts. So why wouldn't you want that? And um, I think one of the things you've done recently that is really great, like you said, you've got this YouTube channel and you're putting all this content. You have a crack marketing executive that makes an appearance once in a while. I love that guy. Um, But you're making these great videos and we're going to link a bunch of them in the show notes. So if you're listening and you have any interest, I recommend you watch those videos because they kind of walk you through how Adam has created some of these. Well, let me rephrase the earlier question. So tell me some of the ways that you're using MFC deck to do interesting things. Sure. So let me pull up my device right here. Um, I have dirt. So in the morning, uh, when I wake up, I have the weather deck set as the current deck. So when I wake up and I open up MFC deck, it shows me weather conditions for all areas around uh, the world that I'm interested in. Um, one of the things that I'm most interested in is the air quality index. So as you know, David, we were we live in California and there's a lot of wildfires earlier this year. So I had the AQI as one of the things that I displayed in my weather, my weather cards. So I knew that if if it was really bad, it was like over a hundred, it's probably not a good idea to go out for a walk or go out for a run. Um the primary deck that I have also shows other information uh, that I use throughout the day, such as uh, I make a lot of screenshots. Um naturally when I'm developing apps. So I have a um, a car that just runs this shortcut that basically takes an iOS screenshot and turns puts the iPhone frame around it. Um, sure. I have a clipboard deck, which I use. So I tur- make the deck, the clipboard deck, the default deck, and then I just set it down on my um, on my table. And then if I'm writing documentation, I frequently have to uh, make a kind of like a markdown header into a slug so I can have a link to it. So all I have to do is tap the slug card and it will go take the contents of the clipboard, convert it into a slug, and then paste it back into the clipboard. And then on my Mac, where I'm using to actually type my documentation, all I have to do is hit command V to paste that slug back into my document because it's using handoff to share the contents of the clipboard. Uh, We already talked about NFC tags. And so I have whole bunch of NFC tags around the house. And so I can program them um, through M- through MFC deck instead of having to go through the automation tab within shortcuts, which is very busy and complicated. And I can control what NFC tag, what shortcut is run um, whenever I tap on an NFC tag, depending on what deck that I'm currently in. Um, I have a bunch of other decks that control Mac apps. So if I'm in the Zoom app, which we're all in these days, you know, I can quickly mute and unmute or turn on and off my video from my iOS device. How can I interrupt? How are you doing that? 
So there's there's two ways that you can do that. So I have a, a shortcut on the MFC deck shortcut gallery, which uses the SSH command. So it basically, you give it your credentials to your Mac, and then it sends an Apple script to your Mac, which then tells Zoom to um, mute or unmute. So it sends sure. a, a key command. The other method is to use something like Keyboard Maestro and to use their kind of remote web trigger, which then basically yeah. sends a, a URL to Keyboard Maestro's kind of server, which then talks to Keyboard Maestro on your Mac to mute and unmute. And that that method is much faster. It's pretty much instantaneous versus the SSH method takes maybe a couple seconds to, to, to do Connect. Uh, the yeah. action. So if you want kind of like instant, I am doing this just like I'm doing it on my Mac, probably the keyboard maestro method is the, the best. If you don't care as much, um, then the SSH version would work for you. Yeah, and, and this is interesting because it's like it's almost like creating your own iOS-based stream deck to control your Mac. That's right. That's right. You could also actually, if you have like a push cut automation server that's running on a on a on a dedicated device, you can actually have a bunch of cards that act as push cut buttons. So you could you can um set the card action to be like ping this URL and that URL is the push cut action. So then you can create a little a stream deck for your, you know, your dedicated push cut device. That's really smart because you also have the ability to grab um data jar information, don't you, to display in a, in a in a widget. Um which I have been experimenting with a little bit because I thought it would be really smart if, you know, just as stuff happens. Um, so, for example, when lights come on, they can ping my pushcut server and then, you know, that will automatically log, hey, that you know, like this this thing has been on for three hours or whatever it is. So I know when it turned on. So I'm thinking specifically of my lava lamp. My lava lamp's not supposed to be on for more than eight hours. So I'd like to know when it turned on so that, you know, if something goes wrong, I, I still turn it off manually. Um, and uh, so being able to grab that information, ooh, you've you've given me some more ideas there, Adam. I'm really glad we're having you on the show for this. <laughs> it's great. personal tech support with a, a heavy automation twist, which I'm much appreciating. So another thing that I've that I use with MSC Deck is automation. So I created this shortcut that's called background automations. And what it does is it creates a background event trigger on your device. So right now you can create time of day automations that run automatically, or you have an open app automation. But what this one does is it lets you create uh, an interval automation. So that runs anywhere between 10 and 90 seconds, and it will just run shortcuts continually. So you could kick this off and then have shortcuts run every, you know, 15, 30 seconds. I have mine set to 90 seconds. Um, And you can be in another app and then your, whatever shortcut you want to run automatically or a deck or a card, it will just happen in the background. Clever, clever. Well, I mean, it's so MFC deck really does a lot. And I think that is the blessing and the curse of the app. I think a lot of people haven't discovered it for exactly the reason you said. They're not sure where to start. And I'm telling you where to start. Um, Go to Adam's YouTube channel and just watch some of his YouTubes. And there's so many different avenues of this app you can go down. Let's say that you're really into NFC tags. Well, um, you can kind of repurpose NFC tags in shortcuts, but it's a big pain in the neck. But with MFC deck, it's actually really easy. So that might be your avenue. Or maybe you want to build your own like contextual cards based on time of day. It can do that too. Watch the videos, gang, and 
go in and do it. And when you make something cool, share it with Adam. He needs to hear from people, man. This guy's been working hard on this app. There's a, a subforum in our forums, actually, for MFC deck, um, or there should be. I distinctly remember creating one. Um, yep, so um, if, if you haven't yet posted about it, uh, then you could also post about it there. So you can download MFC deck right now from the App Store. It's a free trial. If you want to get the, you know, the, the premium version, it's $5. It's not that expensive to get in and get all the features out of this app. So um, go check it out. And uh, Rosemary and I are both using it as well. I, For me, the, the angle for it really is I'm super into the idea of, you know, contextual-based computing, getting my devices to go where I want them to as soon as possible. And MFC deck is going to play a role in that. I'm still kind of sorting it out, but it, it really is a, a nice work, piece of work there. Adam, thank you for making this. Great, thanks. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but we got a whole bunch more automation to talk with Adam about. This episode of The Automators is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Go to expressvpn.com slash automators to get three free months of high-speed, secure, and anonymous VPN services. So how did you choose which internet service provider to use? The sad thing is most of us have very little choice because ISPs have a lot of control in the regions where they serve. They can use this control to take advantage of customers. Data caps, streaming throttles, the list goes on. But worst of all, many ISPs log your internet activity and sell that data on to other big tech companies or advertisers. I hate that. So I protect all of my devices with ExpressVPN, which means ISPs can't see my internet activity. So what is ExpressVPN? It's a simple app for your computer or smartphone that encrypts all of your network data and tunnels it through the secure VPN server at ExpressVPN. So your ISP can't see your activity. Just think about how much of your life is on the internet. Every site you visit, video you watch, or message you send gets tracked by ISPs or other tech giants who can then sell your information for profit. That's the reason I recommend ExpressVPN as the best way to hide your online activity from your ISP. You just download the app, tap one button on your device, and you're protected. And ExpressVPN does all of that without slowing your connection. That's why it's rated the number one VPN service by CNET and Wired, and that's why it's the one I use and personally subscribe to. I've been using ExpressVPN for years, Every year when my renewal comes up, I pay it without question, and I just keep it turned on. It's so easy to use. You click one button, and it's on. And I trust ExpressVPN to protect my privacy. So stop handing over your personal data to ISPs and other tech giants who mine your activity and sell your information. Protect yourself with the VPN I trust to keep me private online. Visit expressvpn.com automators. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash automators to get three extra months free go to expressvpn.com slash automators right now to learn more our thanks to expressvpn for their support of the automators and all of relay fm so adam i understand you're a big home automation guy and you have drunk from the pool of homebridge i only installed homebridge after watching your listening to your episode uh, a few weeks ago Okay, so you're new to it. How's it going? It's going very well. So I, you know, I have a bunch of HomeKit uh, power devices, lights, and I bought some motion sensors and and other things. But I always felt it was very lacking. I couldn't do some of the things until I learned about Homebridge. And now I'm like, 
going all wild on virtual switches, using the cron plugins and timer plugins to do things that I couldn't I couldn't do in the past. So for instance, um, you can create like a, a virtual switch that pings information from a web um, kind of web database, whether it's like Airtable or jsonbin.io. And then other people can hit that Airtable database or that JSON bin object and then flip a switch in my house, right? And then because I have home and HomeKit automation, I can do something whenever that's flip, that, that switch gets flipped. So I'm not, I'm not using that actually right now in any kind of production environment, but it's just something that's, <laughs> that's not... I was going to say, that, letting, you know, letting just, other people turn your lights on and off sounds like potentially something that might not be the best idea, but I can, yeah. I can definitely see the advantages of it. Of it. Um, I've been experimenting with uh, trying to get some specific weather data in. Um, and having if this then that poke a HTTP switch uh, on my Homebridge server to turn on my kitchen light when it's super cloudy outside. Right, right. So here's here's an example that I am using one of these virtual switches for. So in HomeKit, you can have an automation run um, when someone leaves or arrives at a house. So I just have a very simple one that s- flips a switch that says Adam is home or my wife is home or that there's people in the house whenever one of us arrives or, or leaves. Right. And so now... Um, when I'm when I'm out and about, I don't have to go into find my friends and look at whether my wife is home. I can just ask using Siri, you know, is so and so home? And then it will look at the con- that the the state of that virtual switch. And if it's on, the person's home. If it's off, the person's not at home. That is ingenious. Oh my gosh, Adam! Wow, that is so cool. So, so there's another one. There's like um, there's a a cron a cron plugin for homebridge so cron lets you kind of run stuff on a on a repeating basis like every minute or every hour and so i have these uh, hue lights so i want to change the colors of the lights every minute right and you can do that with some there's some kind of add-ons to the hue in hue labs but it kind of slows down the whole um hue bridge i found so i have this cron um switch that flips a switch, and then whenever that switch is flipped, it just changes the color of one of my lights. And are you using that to to simulate sort of the the ambient lighting or whatever it is called? Adaptive lighting, that's what the, the new home feature is called. Are you using it to do a better version of that or just different colors? Yeah, it's just different colors. So I have one of these um, Hue Bloom lights, which very vibrant color. So I just have it set to change the lights. So when you're watching my video, you can see like the background changing. Right. And I don't have to like do anything about it. That's really nice. I like that idea. I have uh, the nano leaf light panels on the wall in my living room. Um, and those are great. Um, but I'd like to automatically switch between certain uh, scenes. Um, and uh, that now you're, you're making me think that that might be a, a cool way of doing it because obviously I could program my own scene and there's a playlist in the nano leaf app and so on. But I think it would be nice just to have it automatically go ping. Okay, next one, ping, next one. Uh, while the light is on and when the light's off, then I presume I can set it up to not do anything because you still get all the HomeKit goodness uh, while you're using HomeBridge, of course. That's right. Rose, ever since we talked about NanoLeaf on the show, I'm getting bombed like one email a day from people who own NanoLeafs who think I should buy them. You should. You guys should stop writing me. This is not helping. 
are, are you concerned about uh, about Daisy and the sudden appearance of Nana Leafs in your house and her happiness level with that? Or yeah, I don't know. I, I just feel like that's a, that's the a kind of slippery slope I would start going down, and suddenly they'd show up everywhere. You know? Okay. <laughs> I don't know if I could stop myself. Well, I mean, if you checked your messages thread recently, then you'll have seen the small pile of HomeKit devices that arrived for me the other day after I said on the show that I'm done. It's good. Everything's fine. Uh, <laughs> It's fine. I'm just automating opening and closing my curtains with SwitchBot. It's fine. Don't worry about it, people. It's all good. <laughs> so, so Adam, what is the uh, you know what are some of your favorite home automation like routines that you use? I like I know that you know you've got other people you live with, so you've got to make automations that are friendly to nece- not necessarily geeks, but work for the entire household. But also, I know you're a very clever guy, so I'd be curious to hear what you're doing with home automations. Most of the people in the house, they know how to turn on and off the lights with, uh, they're not, they know not to flip the switches, you know, um, in terms of automations, I have, I I honestly, it's, it's basically very simple. So I have automations that turn on and off the lights. Um, they change our outside lights to kind of like holiday lights, uh, these days. Um, we're home most of the time. So a lot of the automations that, that are triggered, like when people leave and stuff aren't really relevant anymore. A lot of the automations that I have are kind of like in my office. So again, changing lights when I'm doing, uh, making videos. Um, it is very simple, kind of my automations with home. I'm still kind of experimenting. I don't have things like um, automatic blinds like you have, Rosemary. I wish I had automatic blinds. <laughs> they are amazing. I have to say, uh, I, I set my parents up with automatic blinds recently. Um, and so they, they've got three blinds, uh, in the three upstairs rooms. The one that my mom's currently using is the office, their room and the spare room, which until recently, until I got my place, I was staying in. Um, and, um, it's great. So I set it up. So they automatically close at nine 30 at night. If nobody's at home, they automatically open at eight in the morning. And then when they open the bedroom blind, it opens the other blinds. Cause, uh, my mom said, Oh, we don't really like this automation stuff. And I think that's just because I gave them an Eve energy plug before and they're, and it's Bluetooth based and their Apple TV was not working as a home kit hub. Spoiler people, you need to update the Apple TV if you want it to work as a good home kit hub. If it, if you don't update it, it just doesn't work. Uh, so, um, you know, they told me they don't really like automation. So under the Christmas tree, there are two smart plugs with a, with a, with a button. Um, so they can turn on and off some lights that they automatic that they usually turn on in the evenings, and they'll be able to home kit that because those were IKEA ones. And um, they also have a, a Sonos One and uh, an Echo Dot uh, because I figure those are relatively easy gateway drugs uh, for them without necessarily, at least in the Echo Dot case, the the overhead of the HomePod Mini. And in my case, the Sonos One is actually from my bedroom. Uh, they're aware it's it was originally mine, but I'm hoping that. The uh, good speaker will uh, get them interested in this stuff a little bit more. So one thing that I, I don't know where you live and how good your internet is, but where I live in the Bay Area, you'd be surprised that we don't have Fios <laughs> where I live and that the internet, the upload speeds are actually quite slow. So I have three um, Logitech Circle lights, uh, uh, sorry, Logitech Circle cameras. And so, but if I have them all on, it sucks my internet it like completely takes over my internet because it's sending all that video data back to Logitech. Wow. Um, so I have these automations that turn on my cameras through a Wemo switch or a, um, you know, a smart switch. It turns them on at certain times of the day. So when I'm working, I want, I don't want my cameras on because it'll just take up all my bandwidth. Right. And so I turn them off, but then, you know, later in the day when I'm not working, um, it'll turn the switches on and then the cameras will become active. 
That's really smart. I have um I have a a, a dummy switch um in Homebridge, which is called working, and basically that's just to identify that that's what I'm currently doing, and I'm adding a few more. So I've I've got podcasting as well and things like that, um, and it's basically just to identify, hey, I'm doing this kind of thing, therefore, you know. Take note of that. So while I'm working, it shouldn't be doing things like turning on the heater and the electric blanket in my bedroom. Same while I'm podcasting. Um, but, you know, while I'm lounging in the living room in the evening, it, it should absolutely go, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, go- I'm going to ask now if you're going to be going to bed. And if you are going to bed, then I'm, I'm going to, you know, turn on the heater and the electric blanket so that you're not too cold. Yeah, you know, and it's funny because people don't think about the fact that, you know, putting three home video cameras in my house is going to kill my internet it's just not like normally those wires aren't connected in your brain but that's absolutely what can happen especially with these camera companies that want to be the host of the data that's right i mean i don't know if you've taken a look at like if you have like an eero um or some type of wi-fi router that shows you all the connected devices there are a lot of connected devices in our house and who knows how much data they're like sending out to the internet, you know, and taking just that little slice of, of bandwidth. And so it just adds up such that your, your bandwidth is just slows to a crawl. Yep, it does. But at the same time, it means that I've got the home cam app here open uh, on my desk and it's just showing me the, the, the cameras on my two entrances. So if I do hear a funny noise again while I'm podcasting, which happened once before, then I'll, I'll be able to say, well, you know, that's just something that's fallen down somewhere instead of, I think there's somebody in my house. Obviously, there was nobody in my house last time and everything was fine. Uh, but, you know, I heard a funny noise while I was podcasting and I didn't feel like it uh, easily just get up and go, what's happening? So it can be useful. Adam, another thing that um, I know you have some expertise on is Apple Mail plugins. I know this is a complete kind of left turn in the conversation, but um, automation with respect to email is always a challenge. I was bemoaning on a recent episode of Mac Power Users how, you know, the state, general state of Apple Mail plugins. And I guess you've got some knowledge on this. I do. I have a mail plugin that I've been developing for over a decade now called Message Filer. <laughs> So it lets that. you. Oh, that's right. I knew yeah. that. Yes. Okay. So MessageFire lets you file messages uh, in macOS Mail um, using yeah. your keyboard. I totally forgot you did that too. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it 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 does a, a fi- it's a filing action. It is. So it's it's I wouldn't call it automate automated. It's semi automated since you still have to type in the um, the mailbox name. But there are some shortcuts if you have favorite uh, mailboxes that you like to file to. And so, yeah. you know, when you, when you, when I read that thing, um, or listened to you bemoaning, you know, the state of mail plugins, I, I intimately know about that because every year, whenever Apple releases a new version of Mac OS, all plugins break. There's like a little tweak that they make to the mail app that causes all, uh, mail plugin developers to have to like rewrite. It's just a small bit of, or maybe a large portion of their, of their app. Yeah. And it seems like that's true, not with the major updates, like the, you know, the yearly updates, but even the point updates break all the mail plugins routinely. Yeah. So, so the way that works is that um, there's this compatibility UUID. So it's a unique identifier, which they update every time a new kind of point release comes out. And so there's no real change that needs to be made to the plugins other than adding this little ID into, into the app that says, hey, I can work on this version of macOS. But the problem is that they they keep, you know, either changing the UUID or changing this one little field that has the exact same value as the previous UUID. But because you have to update the plugin, 
you have to go through the whole um, process of verifying with apples because now plugins need to be signed and yada 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 and so every all your you know customers have to go download the new plugin so you get feel that these requests you know i just upgraded to mac os and now my plugin doesn't work what do i do yeah it it is really frustrating i, I do think the reason why apple mail hasn't got a lot of new features is i think apple's been really focused on security and you know you're always hoping that the plugin marketplace can make up for the slack but uh, I, I'm honestly just starting to lose faith in Apple Mail. It's like they they continue to kind of let it linger on iOS. And um, as I have been for the last 15 years, I'm actively looking for a replacement, but I just don't know what it is. And um, But yeah, I, I forgot that you were making plugins as well. That That gives me a little bit more understanding of why everything breaks with every update. That's right. And I think a lot of mail plugin developers are always wary or fearful that, you know, the next version of macOS is just going to like drop support for plugins. And every year, you know, the plugin support's still there. <laughs> so yeah. we don't know what's really going to happen. They're very, you know, obviously they're not talking. Yeah. 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 Obviously not. It's just a shame that they can't let you do the same thing on iOS because, oh my gosh, mail plugins on iOS and, uh, more and more people will be iOS only uh, because I think, you know, being able to manage your email is something that people do struggle with. And sure, there are apps like Airmail out there, which allow you to create custom actions, which say, OK, well, when I run this action, mark this as red, forward it to this address, um, tag it with this and archive it um, or whatever it is that you need to do. But it, it's still, you know, that's something that people are less familiar with. And a lot of people do like the stock mail app. And I completely see why it supports SMIME and all of the other great features that you want. And in many cases, you know, people don't necessarily have a choice. They have to use it because that's what work requires from them on their devices. Um, but it's a, a shame that things don't work differently. Yeah, let's hope that, you know, Apple continues to extend kind of the automation features within mail. So, I mean, they do have that one automation, like when an email comes in from mm-hmm. a particular recipient, right? You do need to tap a button though. Yeah. But maybe in the future, Apple will release an automation framework for apps. So similar to kind of uh, creating custom shortcut actions, maybe you can have a plugin that runs automatically when something in the background happens in your app. I could see that if they would just let us run that automation automatically when you receive an email I could totally see you writing a mail app for iOS, which would just take the information because now with iOS 14.3, it can pass all of the the different email information through, like the subject, the date and time received, the sender, all of that good stuff. So I could totally see somebody like you, Adam, making making an app that would just go, oh, hey, you know, I'm just going to slurp this information in. That means I do these things. It maybe has its own IMAP and SMTP connections or maybe it, you know, just does other things, whatever. But I could see people getting excited. I think once they unlock that so that we can just run that without asking, then people are going to get much more excited about this. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when Apple made the decisions for iOS 14 about which apps get, I'm sorry, which triggers get the automatic automation versus which triggers do not. Because some of it doesn't really make sense to me. I my guess is the automator team was saying just let all of them run. I mean, they're big boys and girls; they can figure it out. But I'm sure there were there opposing forces inside the fruit company. 
Yes, it's unfortunate. And I do understand why, uh, because, you know, if you get somebody that just plays with these things and doesn't really understand what they're doing, and then they set it up so that now every time they get a message uh, from David Sparks, that it automatically pops up and says, say hello, David. Um, and they're confused as to why. No, that didn't happen to me. Why are you giving me that look, David? It's fine. Don't worry. It's so good. Um, <laughs> you know, you can, you can easily set these things up, even if you're used to this stuff and be confused as to why things are happening. So I, I do understand why, but yes, I, I kind of feel that if they're giving us the power to play with this stuff, then don't, don't say, oh, uh, but in these very few specific cases, you can't just ha do it entirely automatically. Um, you know, you, you would want it to be doing all of the things for you. I'm curious to learn stats from Apple on how many people actually have created an automation, whether it's a personal automation or a home automation. Um, do you have an idea of, of how many people are using automations from talking with them? No, no clue, but I know that the automators team desperately wants people to use it because, oh, yeah. you know, the amount of funding and time and effort that we're going to get towards automation is going to be directly related to that number. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure the shortcuts team are going more people use this please. So that, that you know, now might be a good time with the the upcoming year to tell people, "Oh, I'm I'm going to help you set up some uh uh some things on your phone so that it's easier to use next year." And then sneakily just set up a couple of shortcuts personal automations uh for them or show them how to do it so that it changes their wallpaper automatically on Monday through Friday into a random picture from their favorites the weekend or something like that, you know. Just go ahead and, and set something up so that, you know, it's a fun thing for that person or maybe it's just something they'll never notice. Take your pick uh, just so that more and more people use it. Well, I also think the whole widget explosion and the way that kind of slid into shortcuts was only good for shortcuts. You know, you can see, uh, you know that they had to jump to the top of the line to get the thing to launch a shortcut without going into the app like it used to. Um, that was a direct relation to the fact that a lot of people who did not traditionally use shortcuts were suddenly using it. And um, I would guess that the number is much higher because of widgets. And I hope that is reflected with iOS 15 that they even you know put the gas down harder on it. This episode of Automators is brought to you by Text Expander from our good friends at Smile. Get ahead of your productivity for the new year with the power of Text Expander. Text Expander removes the repetition out of work, so you can focus on what matters most. Say goodbye to repetitive text entry, spelling and message errors, and remembering the right thing to say. When you use Text Expander, you can say the right thing in just a few keystrokes. It's better than copy and paste, better than scripts and templates, and because Text Expander snippets allow you to maximize your time by getting rid of the repetitive things you type while still customizing and personalizing your messages, you'll be ahead of the game. I love Text Expander. I use it for all sorts of things. And in fact, it's great. I used it just the other day to create a couple of new meeting templates for work for regular catch-ups that I've got with different people. It means that I can just type a few keystrokes and bam, everything's there with today's date filled in and everything else that I need ready to go. It's going to save me hours in the new year and more importantly, provide me with that consistency that I need. Text Expander can be used on any platform, in any app, anywhere you type. Take back your time in the new year and increase your productivity with Text Expander. Automators listeners get 20% off their first year. Visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. Go there now. You won't regret it. Our thanks to Text Expander and Smile for their support of this show and Relay FM. 
So, Adam, one of the things uh, we talked about at the top is you've created some YouTube videos on MFC Deck. And I couldn't help but notice in the bottom right-hand corner is this funky-looking grill thing, which I'm assuming must be an Apple Pro XDR display. Is it? And how are you using it? What is it connected to? So, yes, that is an Apple Pro XDR display. I actually had a 30-inch cinema display. Uh, I bought that in like 2005, and I used that for 10 years. And it's still being in use 15 years later with my uh, father-in-law. And there's something to be said about having a good display that you can look at and that you're happy with looking at day in, day out. Because I'm basically on my computer for 8 to 10 hours a day. Mm -hmm. And it was a very expensive purchase. You know, I looked at a wide variety of, of monitors. You know, there's like Dell monitors, there's the LG monitors. I thought about, well, can I get by with just using my Apple Thunderbolt display? Because I was, I was going to buy an M1 Mac mini. And so I placed the order for that, but that was going to take like an extra two to three weeks to ship. And I wanted the, you know, to use a display like right now. <laughs> so yep. I ended up buying sure. the XDR. And I was using it with a uh, 2015 MacBook Pro. And it only, um, the resolutions, you don't get as many resolution options oh. um, as on like the newer Macs. And it's actually interesting. My Mac mini came in yesterday. And so I was like all excited. I'm going to be able to like bump up the resolution. And I plugged it in and I, I saw like less resolution options than on my Mac, <laughs> my MacBook Pro. Um, but I think there's some, some third-party apps that I can use to kind of, uh, reveal some of these extra resolution options. I'm going to go try installing those later today. Yeah. So I have one that I use and I use this a lot for screencasting. Uh, it's just called Displays, which is possibly the worst searchable, worst name possible searchability wise. Um, but um, so I've got a 34 inch uh, ultra wide Logitech and its default resolution is uh, 3,440 pixels wide by 1,440 pixels high. Uh, but when I click on the displays app, then I can choose all sorts of different re um, screen resolutions, including, um, you know, I can get things that are going down to four, four by three. So 1024 pixels by 768 pixels and things like that. Uh, and I have all that. And I also have a portable display that I frequently plug in because let's be honest, having a small rectangular blob in the middle of the otherwise very large and useful display is not the most helpful. And I like to have multiple screens for screencasting just so I've got what I'm what I'm showing people versus, you know, what, what I need to be able to see. And uh, so I have a portable 15-inch uh, monitor which just plugs in via USB-C. And that has got such an insanely long list of different resolutions. It's insane, but it, it works super well. Um, so that that's a great app. It's a menu bar application. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Yeah, and I know Adam, you're a very enthusiastic enthusiastic photographer. So I would imagine the color, you know, spectrum on that monitor is probably something you really like. Yeah, the 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 monitor is actually fantastic. I got the the glossy display, and usually I'm I'm more of a matte f fan, but um. Yeah. With a little kid around the house, I <laughs> I didn't uh, relish the opportunity to have to clean it every all every once in a while. Yeah, but the glossy one actually does a pretty good job of reducing reflections and glare. But it's a it's a wonderful display. I mean, I mean, it better be for the amount of money that I paid for it. You know. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure you'll be using it for years to come. And I don't know. It, it's weird, you know, uh, as Apple users. I, I went through this with the headphones. I bought the headphones that are $500. I, I joked on Mac Power users, but it's true. 
the first car I bought was less money than these headphones, you know, (laughs) but at the end of the day, they make me happy and, um, I've blown money on dumber things in my life. So just, just go with it. Yeah. I'm trying not to regret the decision. Every time I look at it, I say, oh, this is very nice. And I can rotate the display (laughs) to portrait, although it looks, looks huge when it's in portrait mode. Yeah. I can imagine like a word processing document on that monster screen turned up. (laughs) That'd be kind of funny. It is nice when you're reading like online documentation. Yeah. So if you're reading one of your, um, one of your online books, it's great. (laughs) Yeah. I think Rose has two of them on order. Don't you have two of those XDR screens coming, Rose? Uh, David, I'm not made of money. Uh, I am wearing a pair of AirPods Max right now, um, plugged in (laughs) via the extremely expensive Lightning 3.5 millimeter cable. Um, But, uh, you know, they are super comfy. And I got them because my previous uh, headphones, if I was doing a long day of podcasting or screencasting, were genuinely giving me a headache where they were resting on my head. And so I thought I'd give these a try. And um, I'm very sad to say that I'm probably going to be keeping them because they are extremely comfortable and I like them. And I wish I didn't. I have this picture of like a meeting somewhere at Apple where someone's like, yeah, and then we're going to make a cable so you can plug it into your Mac, but we're going to charge you $35 for it. You know? So so the the beauty of this is they didn't even need to make the cable. They already had it for the Beats. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, Uh, man. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's amazing uh, how wonderful this technology is. How is that M1 Mac Mini, aside from the screen resolution options, Adam? Well, the, the initial setup went well, but then I tried to start Migration Assistant last night, and I plugged in my Mac, my MacBook Pro, and then I said, okay, it's, it says it's starting. I'm going to go to sleep, and when I wake up, you know, the Mac Mini will be, will be basically a clone of my <laughs> MacBook Pro. And then I woke up in the morning, I went to my computer, and it was still stuck on the same screen, <laughs> starting, oh, no. starting copy. So. Right now, the Mac Mini has hasn't been configured. I'm I'm recording this podcast from my MacBook Pro right now, uh, and I am trying to f- wrestle with: should I do the migration system again, or should I just manually copy, you know, files and data and reinstall applications so it's like a kind of like a fresh install? What What would you recommend? I'd go with a fresh install. I mean, you've got that all all that new M1 goodness and so on. It might be a nice time to have a clear out as you're switching, you know, chips. I also feel like. Like the apps, you want to make sure the apps get the Apple Silicon version installed. Mm. Yeah, like Zoom has a different version that you need to download if you if you're using the Apple Silicon version. Um, so uh, there's there's going to be a couple of those, I'm sure. Um, that's what I would be doing. I'm sticking with my Intel Mac Mini for now. And David, do not try and twist my arm on this. I'm sticking with it. I'm happy. No, I mean first you got to get your two XDR monitors. <laughs> the um. My wife uh, had a, a 10-year-old MacBook Pro, the original 13-inch MacBook Pro, and um, it was really failing. So I bought her the M1 MacBook Air. And it was the very first time I've ever had a migration assistant um, migration fail. I mean, it did, It said it was done, and it didn't move everything over. She's got a bunch of files that are not there. And it clearly like even the wallpaper wasn't right. So something went wrong. I think maybe migration assistant is choking a bit going between Intel and Apple Silicon, and I'm sure they'll get a future update and that'll go away. But I can tell you, I had a similar problem and now I'm just going to manually move her files over and we're keeping her old computer. I mean, her old computer has zero value. I couldn't sell it. I couldn't the only thing I can do is turn it to Apple and let them recycle it. But we're going to hold on to it for like six months to make sure we got everything off of it we needed. Uh, but Migration Assistant, I think, may have some issues with this uh, transition. 
Yeah, I think that makes my decision clear. I'm going to manually move everything. I, I think that's a good shout. I mean, it's it's not necessarily something that you you want to do, but at the same time, it's worth doing these things right every you know when when you do them. And how often do you upgrade a Mac? Um, you know, that's that's something that hopefully you won't be doing again for a good couple of years. So it's it's worth doing it properly now, so that you can enjoy it uh, for the next however long it takes. Adam, I um I know that you spend a lot of time, you know, working on these apps to improve shortcuts. And I was thinking it'd be a fun game to play. What if Tim Cook calls you up and says, hey, Adam, I love your apps. Uh, I want you to come in and be the king of shortcuts at Apple. Um, what would you change about shortcuts if you had those godlike powers? Oh, great power comes great responsibility. Let me think about that. So. There are no negative consequences to your actions. <laughs> there we go. Let's make that a tad easier for you. <laughs> Definitely removing that confirmation toggle from all those. Uh, Amen. Personal automation triggers. Amen. Oh, yeah. Um, the ability for third-party applications to run shortcuts without opening up the shortcuts app would be great. The ability to run shortcuts in the background without kind of making those menus disappear. So right now, if you like have a personal automation and... That runs, say, at 11 o'clock, but the, at the exact same moment, you like run a shortcut manually by tapping on it, and it brings up a menu. The personal automation would run and then make your menu disappear. So this yep. that modal, the, you know, making those menus disappear. I hate how the menus appear from the top. I'd make it back so that they appear from the bottom. Mm-hmm. Again, I would uh, obviously add the ability to do nested folders and tags to into shortcuts. <laughs> so basically take all the features of my apps and then put them into the main shortcuts uh, application. I mean, I think that's a pretty good shout. I'd also turn off, uh, be, allow people to turn off notifications for individual automations. So I could manually right. say, for example, the, the one where I disconnect my phone from power, that just shouldn't show me a notification. Same as the one when I connect my phone to power. I don't want to see those notifications. I get it. It's fine. Um, and sure, maybe I have to configure that in the automation itself and say, don't show me a notification on this, but I would love to do that. What about you, David? I think they'd also have to assign Adam physical security because the software security guys would come at him with pitchforks. But, you know, <laughs> that's OK. That's OK. Right? I'll be on Adam's team. We're good. We'll, we'll, we'll put on some roller skates and, and some and some knee guards and we'll be fine. I'm just glad you would take one for the team, Adam. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Whatever it takes. Adam Tao, I love talking to you because you're just so thoughtful on automation and the stuff, the tools you make. I mean, I, I can't even imagine something like MFC Deck and all of the ways that it improves shortcuts. Anybody listening, honestly, you're listening to the Automator's podcast, go download MFC Deck and fiddle with it a little bit. Watch some of Adam's videos. Um, I bet you'll find a good use for it. And um, congratulations on getting this really impressive app out the door. Thank you. Can't wait to see what we what we come up next uh, when I come on the show next time. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, every time you outdo yourself. So what? Where do we go next? Um, it, if you want to learn more about Adam, you go to tau.com, t-o-w.com, and we've also put links in for the apps you've made. So go check those out as well. And I've put in a bunch of the YouTube videos. So make sure you go check those out. And uh, Adam, once again. Awesome work getting this thing out the door. Thanks, man. Great. Thanks again for having me.
And I'd really love to give our listeners some homework, if I may. If you've created a deck or even just a cool widget in MFC deck, post it in our forums with a, a with the link to the shortcut or a little how-to, or just post a screenshot and, you know, a little explanation uh, with your deck or something. Because I am looking to steal ideas, um, and I'm hoping that by the time the show releases, because we are recording a little bit ahead of schedule due to the holiday season, that I will be able to get some of my stuff up there as well for you to go and look at and, uh, uh, you know, get get started with because this is a great app, and I really feel feel the more people that use it, the more ideas people will have. So, yeah. And uh, by the way, happy new year, everybody. Let's hope we don't have twenty twenty the sequel. There we go. Uh, thank you to our sponsors, ExpressVPN and Smile Software. We're the automators. You can find us over at relay.fm/automators. You can find the forms we were talking at talk.automators.fm. You can also find the automators website at automators.fm. Um, Rose, you got anything exciting going on you should tell the world about? Well, I mean, I'm joining iOS today uh, over on the Twit network. That's at twit.tv. And uh, you can find, uh, of course, Automators uh, on Relay FM and Nested Folders at nestedfolderspodcast.com. That's my podcast uh, about productivity with Scotty Jackson. David, anything exciting for you? Not really. <laughs> I got paperless out the door. I'm catching my breath, starting to work on the next one. Um, but uh, we'll put links for all that stuff in the show notes, gang, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Goodbye, everyone.